you got a Bible, go with me to John 15. It's good to see y'all, everybody good? All right, as you're turning to John 15, two bits of housekeeping. One, I got the shirt on, I'm a billboard today. Uh, Agios Challenge, it's our student ministries kickoff to the year. Uh, they are, so our high school, our middle schoolers, they do a big challenge course. You may have seen it if you drove in on the upper ring up there. It is a blast, so I wanted to let you know two things about that. One, if you are a high school, middle schooler, you haven't gotten signed up yet, you're still welcome to. 3.30 today, you can sign up right in the lobby. You're welcome to come. Uh, there's also an opportunity uh, for those of us who are not high schoolers and middle schoolers to run the challenge course today, and it's a blast. So if you wanna run it, young or old, come on and run it. Uh, 40 bucks, we're gonna raise some support for our student ministry scholarship fund. So man and I are running. If we can do it, you can do it. All right, come run, get muddy, have stuff thrown at you. I don't know what else. It's gonna all be a surprise to me, all right? So we'd love to have you join us. You can also just come, sign up at 3.30, and it will help raise funds so that students who can't maybe afford camp or some other different things down the road in the calendar year can be a part of that. So love for you to come join us today. And then the other thing I wanna make sure that you know is that next week, you got an email about this if you're on our church email, is Back to School Sunday. I know, I saw some Messiah. There were a ton of Messiah here, the first student. We have some Messiah here, this service. Yes, awesome, fantastic. I see some spread out, waving, awesome. Uh, and a lot of our kids are going back to school, high school and middle school this week. So next week in earnest, even though I know that this Sunday is kind of marking back to school, we're going to do back to school Sunday together. And what that means is all of our K through, you know, all the way up through college are gonna be with us in the service not just because we wanna all be together to worship, because we wanna take time to intentionally pray over you all, and just as a way of saying, man, you shape the life of our body in such meaningful ways, and we wanna pray for you as you head into the school year, because, not because just there are challenges to re-engaging in school, but because God is sending you to each place where you're going, whether you're in homeschool or private school or public school, God is sending you to that place, and we just want you to know that your church family is behind you, we see that God has sent you as missionaries into your neighborhoods and into your schools, and we're just excited about how he's shaping your minds and hearts, and so we wanna take time to do that together, okay? So just be aware of that. We're gonna be all together worshiping. It'll be a really fun Sunday, um, and we're excited about that. And I just, I'll say in addition to those two little housekeeping things, before we even get into the text that we're gonna look at today, I am really excited for, I feel we are, as a church, we're just poised for a, to make a deep impact upon our community in this coming year. I mean, if you get that what's happening email, I hope you know it's not just a, here's all the activities the church is doing. Have you ever pondered the kind of impact that we can have upon the region where God has sent us to live? I mean, honestly, I mean, first service was packed. Uh, this service, guys, we, just, just this body, not to mention the other faithful brother and sister churches all over our region, there is no reason we cannot impact every neighborhood in this region. Every neighborhood. We have the possibility, the potential to bring the love of Christ and the truth of Christ so that every man, woman, and child hears multiple times about what he has done to save them and to experience his love through practical acts of service. There's just no reason why we should not impact every neighborhood in our region. It's just the opportunity is ripe. And I just think about, we've got a, We've got a, a whole thing launching around families struggling with addiction and members of the family struggling with addiction that's gonna be available this year. We've got multiple opportunities to, 
to speak into marriages through different classes that are coming and opportunities that are being offered, marriages that are struggling, marriages that are thriving and want to keep growing. We've got opportunities to tutor kids in the local school system this year that you can be involved in. There's grief share for folks who are struggling with the loss and to be able to minister into those hurting places. There is opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. I'm just, I'm just, that's the tip of the iceberg I just mentioned to you all. We are poised for an amazing year. And the only question is, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna be involved? God has given you gifts and skills and they are to be put to his use. What are you planning to do in response to the power of the Spirit that he would move through you in this coming year? I hope you're excited about seeing our region transformed and changed continually so that it looks more like the kingdom of God, so that we would learn to pray exactly what Jesus taught us to pray. Let earth look like heaven. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm super excited about the year in front of us. Can't wait to see what God does in you and through you. And every Sunday when we come together, let's remind ourselves we're not just coming to hear a nice sermon. We're not just coming to sing some songs. We are coming to get equipped for the work of God, yes? Coming to get equipped. Ephesians 2.10 tells us in verse 8, he says, he saved us by grace through faith, not of our own works, so that no one would boast. And then in verse 10, what does he say? so that we would walk in the good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. God has good works, he's already prepared them for you. They're there waiting like fruit on a low-hanging branch of the tree. So let's take them up, shall we? All right, so John chapter 15, verses one through 11, we're gonna look at, and we've been going through this series, and we're gonna start a new series next week in the, in the epistle of 1 John, but we're finishing our I Am series. So we're looking at these seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John. And if you're just kind of rejoining us like our Messiah students, you've been out of town and you're back, don't worry, I'll kind of catch you up with enough. You'll be fine, uh, even though we're on the tail end of a series here as we think about these times where Jesus told us something about himself and the Father by saying, I am. Now, let me tell you a story. Um, perhaps the most stereotypically Texan thing. I grew up in Texas. I say y'all. I say fixin' to these kinds of things. But maybe the most stereotypical thing. Now, I grew up in a big city, Dallas, Fort Worth, multiple millions. And yet, in third grade, and I think fourth and fifth grade, maybe even into sixth grade, we had a section of our PE curriculum that was learning to square dance. <laughs> Did any, do y'all have square dance here? Does that happen? I feel so good. That makes me feel better. I thought that was the most like local yokel thing about me. So we had to learn square dancing in third grade. And when you're in third grade as, as a boy, I was not like real fond of the idea of holding a girl's hand. You know, I mean, okay, I'll do bow to my partner and bow to my corner. I'm not real excited about promenading, okay? <laughs> promenading and I do not go hand in hand, but you gotta, you know, you gotta do it. So third grade, we are all set to start the square dance unit. And because the teachers understand that they can't just say, okay, boys, go pick a partner because we're never going to do it. We're never going to go up to a girl and say, will you square dance with me? That would be too much like admitting that you liked someone and we could never, ever do that, all right? Plus, I'm in third grade and I still think girls are pretty gross, all right? So they decide to draw names out of a hat. So they're gonna draw like Trent and so-and-so. Well, okay, so there's one girl in my class who now as an adult, I, I have some I have greater understanding of this and empathy, but in third grade, all I knew was she was straight up mean, like rattlesnake mean. Like, I don't want to be, like, just pair me with anybody but this person, anybody but her, and when they draw the names out of the hat, 
Sure enough, Trent and, I'm not gonna say your name, all right? And I'm like, no, don't make me connect with this person, anybody but this person. And I'm just like crestfallen. Later, the teacher finds me and tells me, we didn't actually draw her name out of the hat. We paired her with you because we thought you'd be nice about it. This is a teaching error. She should have never told me this. I'm like, you lie and you cheat. Now listen, listen. We've all had moments where we had to be connected with someone we didn't want to be connected to, right? Maybe somebody on a project at work or a project at school, and you're thinking like, oh no, like, that's not who I really want to be connected with. Maybe somebody's cornered you at a party, you know, and they're just gonna talk your ear off about something, you think, oh my goodness. And can I say this too? We've probably also all been the person someone else didn't want to be connected to, <laughs> right? They're like, oh no. They see us coming. I went on this trip. I remember this feeling. I remember this feeling, and maybe I was feeling like the young lady from third grade. I don't know. I went on a trip with a group of pastors to learn more about this thing. This was not many years ago, and I remember sitting after one of the events and talking, and none of the pastors, they were all talking to one another, and no one wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I felt very, I was like, oh, I'm crestfallen. No one wants to connect with me. I am a nice person. I'm an enjoyable conversationalist. We've all felt that. We've all had the moment where we feel like, man, no one wants to connect with me or maybe we don't wanna connect with another person. Now listen, here's the first line in our text today. John 15, one, first half. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now I'm gonna read the rest of the 11 verses, okay? But that, you need to hear the first statement first. I am the true vine. What Jesus is saying when he says that he's the true vine is he is offering you an invitation. He is saying, I am the evidence and I am the way by which the Father is showing you that he wants to be connected to you. He wants a deep, day by day, moment by moment, life-giving kind of connection to you. Now maybe some of you are like, yeah, I get that. That feels obvious to me, uh, to some degree. If it feels obvious to you that that's who God is, that he wants a connection to you, I'm really glad that you feel that way. But let me also acknowledge that some of you, when you think about God, kind of feel like I, you know, you think that God looks at you like I looked at that other third grade girl that I didn't want to be connected to. Please don't make me be connected. Almost as if God is saying, Oh, gosh, I, you know, if I have to, I guess I will, but it's like, it's like somebody drew their name out of the hat, and I don't really want to be connected to them, and what Jesus is saying is that is the exact opposite about how, of how God feels about you, and everything else that we're going to see in this text really depends upon you getting that. It depends upon you believing and taking God at his word that he wants to be connected to you, not begrudgingly, not because he has to, but freely and joyfully, he wants to and initiates being connected to you. That's his desire. He is the God who comes to make a connection with us. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the true vine. Now I'm gonna try to unpack that for you so you see why this statement means that. And then what we're gonna see is like, so the first question is like, will we take him up on this invitation? Okay, 
Then the second thing we're gonna look at is, well, there's a fruitfulness that he says comes from this kind of life connected to him. If I'm connected to him, there's gonna be this fruitfulness that shows up in my life. And I wanna show you how he, how he says that happens in this text. So that's what we're gonna look at. Let's read it together, okay? First 11 verses of John 15. And let me just say, you know, as we're starting kind of the ministry year out here, I wanna encourage you, we always put the words on the screen for you. Uh, but we'd love you to have your Bible in hand, be able to mark it up, be able to make notes in the margin and just kind of you know, follow along with that word in your hand. So here's what John 15 says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burn. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Now listen, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Is everybody interested in fullness of joy? All right, so that's what Jesus told us. He taught us this for, so that his joy would be in us our joy would be full, so there's something really rich here waiting for us. So as I said, God is making an offer here to us and saying, I want a deep, nourishing, life-giving connection with you. So let's talk first about how we take him up on that invitation. So the first thing is we need to see it as an invitation. So as we read this text, one of the tendencies is to hear that abide command, and it is a command. He says, abide in me, connect to me, remain in me, like stay close to me. And as we read that, then we see, and there will be this fruitfulness that comes. But if we skip right past what he's saying when he uses this metaphor of the vine and the branches, we miss the invitational nature of what he's saying. There's two things here that help us understand that God is, in addition to making that command, and actually before making the command, is actually making an offer to you and to me to say, connect to me. I love it when you come to me morning by morning, moment by moment, and live your life in such a way that you're saying, I draw everything from you. I draw my motivation and my sense of purpose, and I draw my sense of identity, and I, I am assured of love, and I am filled with power and energy, and I do everything with the animating force that comes through my connection to you. I don't look at any part of my life outside of what it means to be connected to you in my work, in my family, in my marriage, and then to draw on that connection and to live out of it into this area of my life. 
That's what he's inviting you into. And when he says, I am, let's remember that all these I am statements are a divine claim. Now we've seen that, yes, do we remember this? Okay, so if you've missed this part of the series, way back in Exodus chapter three, verse 14, when God is talking to Moses and sending him to talk to Pharaoh about letting the Israelites go out of Egypt, they're slaves in Egypt, Moses is the ambassador of God going to say, let them go. And Moses says, well, when I go, the people are gonna say, well, who sent you? I'm gonna need a name. And when God gives him his name, he says, tell them I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. So from that moment in the scriptures, this phrase, I am, becomes a divine claim. It becomes a way of acknowledging the divine. And so we've seen multiple places in the Gospel of John, in particular these seven I am statements where Jesus is claiming to be God. When he says I am and then he attaches a predicate statement, the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. When he says these things, the first thing we have to recognize is he's saying I am God in the flesh and therefore what he's saying is when I come to the second half of that sentence, I'm telling you not just that I'm God, I am revealing something about God to you in the next words that I speak. Does that make sense? So when he says, I am the good shepherd, he's revealing that God, not just Jesus, but God the Father is a shepherding kind of a God. He delights to guide you and lead you and guard you from harm and protect you and keep you into eternity. When he says, I am the resurrection, he doesn't just mean I, Jesus, am the way to be resurrected after your death into eternal life. He's saying the Father is a resurrecting Father. That's who God is in his very nature. I'm telling you something about who the Father is. And so when he says, I am the true vine, you have to ask, well, why does he choose this metaphor of a vine and the branches? And the first reason he chooses it is because he's saying to us, the Father is a Father who wants to be connected to you. He's not like an indifferent earthly father who couldn't care less about your hobbies and habits and is like, just leave me alone so I can go about my own thing. That's not who he is. And if you've gotten a false impression of him from some earthly experience of fatherhood, he says, that's not who God is. He is a father who says, come and connect with me. I am like a vine, you are like a branch, and I want you to be connected to me deeply so that you draw all of your life's meaning and purpose and energy and power from me. Everybody follow along? So if that's true, and he's saying, I am the true vine, then what he's saying is the Father is a Father who wants to connect with you, and that's an invitation, not just a command. Now, if you doubt that from the I am statement, let me just take you to verses four and five, because he says something he doesn't have to say and pay attention when you're reading through the scriptures and you're seeing somebody say something and then there's this like little addendum thing added on. You're like, huh, he could have just made the same point he was making without that. And here's what he says. When he says, abide in me, that's the command and he could go on to make the point, which is kind of the primary point, all right? Connect to me and you will be fruitful, right? And he's gonna say, you can't bear fruit unless you're connected to me. You will bear fruit if you are connected to me. But he adds one little phrase after saying, abide in me, what's the next phrase there? And I in you. What did he just say? 
I'm not just telling you you need to connect to me. I'm telling you I'm coming to connect to you. I'm not just telling you you must remain in me. I am going to remain in who? In you. Do you see how important that is? What he's just said is, I'm not leaving the initiative up to you. I'm taking the initiative. I desire to be close to you and connected to you so much so that I am telling you, I am not just saying you remain in me, you connect to me, I am coming to connect with you. And what Jesus is saying is my very presence in the earth is the evidence that the Father wants that connection with you. So before we go any further, I just need to stop and ask the question, what is the condition of your connection to the Father right now? It is very possible for Christians, for sure, to go through seasons where we feel like we're going through the motions, where we feel dry, where we feel confused, hurt, angry. All these things exist. But I am supposed to tell you today that the Father wants more for you than that. He wants to bring you out of rote repetition of showing up at church and going through the motions and perhaps occasionally opening the scriptures and yeah, I'll just, you know, mm-hmm, yeah, I'll just, he wants to bring you into this kind of life where he's saying every moment of every day, you are keenly aware that I am there. You are keenly aware and you experience at the level of your emotions and your mind, your heart, your body, all of you experiences that I'm near right now. And I live in light of that nearness. I draw everything out of that connection. I get all my nourishment from it. I get all my motivation from it. I operate in the power of it. He's saying, that's what I want with you. It will help you to take stock of what that connection is like for you right now. And my invitation to you is just to proclaim the truth to you and say, don't take my word for it. Do you see it here? Yes, in God's word. That's what he's saying. He wants that connection with you. And if you rush quickly to the command, I need to do the connecting, I need to do the abiding. And if you rush quickly to the fruitfulness, I need to bear fruit to prove that I am his disciple. That's what verse eight says. Like, If you're connecting him, you're gonna produce fruit. That's why it's the evidence of being a disciple. People connected to Jesus, they bear fruit. This is what happens. Not because you, because him. You're connected to the one who can't help but bear fruit. This is what he does. He's that powerful, right? And so, but don't rush to the fruitfulness just yet. We're gonna go there. Stay on the connection. He's inviting you into the connection. So what's the condition of it for you right now? The second thing he does, so that's the invitation part. You need to see the invitation. The second thing he does is make a claim, and I just kind of, I started talking about it actually before I said I was gonna talk about it, but look at verse four and five with me because he is going to not just say, I'm inviting you. He's going to now make a really big claim to help you want to do this, to help you want to connect with him because he's going to say the only kind of life that is truly life is the kind that draws from me, the kind that comes from connection to me. Now, he's not gonna say that uh, a person who's not a follower of Jesus can't be moral or can't do a good thing, you know, but he's gonna say the kind of fruitfulness that you as a human being are designed for, made by God for, is the kind of fruitfulness that only comes through connection 
to the Father through the Son who is the vine. So look at verses four and five. He says this, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Just repeating himself to make sure we get it. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So that's two sides of the coin there. I don't know if you saw that in verse four. Here's what he's saying. Here's the bold claim. Jesus is saying, you will not produce fruit apart from me. Can't be done. I am the source of it. I am the reason for it. I am the power by which it comes. And if you don't, if you try to produce that in your own energy, through your own drawing on yourself, you're going to fail. That's a pretty big claim. He's saying, I'm the only one that can produce the kind of fruitfulness that you, I'm inviting you into. Like a truly fruitful life always comes from me. But then he says the opposite side of that coin. And it should just like stun us. Because what does he then go on and say? He's like, apart from me, you can't do anything. But then in verse five, he says, but if you are abiding in me, if you are taking me up on this invitation and connecting with me, that person will bear what? Much fruit, he says. And by the way, he doesn't enumerate all the fruit that you will bear in this chapter because he's intentionally vague because he wants you to know it's so grand, it's so big that I'm just gonna leave it wide open. It's much fruit. Well, what, what, what fruit? Much. Lots of it. It's gonna overflow. It's gonna come in quantities you can't possibly imagine when you are connected to me. And what all of us should do, every single one of us, should be stunned by that statement because we should think immediately, so you're guaranteeing that someone like me Someone with all my limitations, all my shortcomings, all the mistakes that I make, all the times I intentionally wound others and hurt other people, all the times that I am intentionally disregarding you. But if I will connect to you, you guarantee that someone like me can bear much fruit, more than I can possibly fathom? That's astounding. He's inviting you into a humility of your own self-estimation. And if you understand how truly flawed and frail and small-minded and temporary you are, that's actually a key to becoming fruitful, which is the counter of the way the world works. I mean, the world right, is very much about like build yourself up, talk yourself up, make sure you're totally confident in who you are. You should absolutely feel confidence in who you are, but only because the power of the Spirit and Christ is in you and moving through you. Not because yourself. Which is very, I get it, it's very different. It's like offensive to the world's mindset because why would we ever degrade ourselves? It's not degrading to acknowledge that the king of the universe has offered to move through me, but I can't do it myself. I just don't have that. So that verse five is a stunner. I mean, it is meant to be shocking. Like you're promising, you're guaranteeing, you're assuring me that there will be this massive kind of fruitfulness if I'll just take you up on this invitation to connect with you. So, that's the claim. Now let's do, there's one more thing that he does, and it's a, it's a warning. Uh, so he says in verse three, already you are clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. 
remember that this setting, uh, which I don't know that I set up very well, but in John 13 through John 17, it's what we call the upper room discourse because it's Jesus up in the upper room. Remember when he washes the disciples' feet? That happens in John 13. And then he gives them the, you know, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's all this, these last words of Jesus with his closest followers. They're all in the room. It's the night before he's going to be crucified. He's gonna go to the cross. And in light of that, he's sharing with them the last things that he is going to share with them. And in that moment, Jesus gives them this warning. It's when he says, I am, now in verse five, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. But did you notice that in verse one, he adds one little word to the front of that vine analogy. He says, I am the what kind of vine? The true vine, right? Well, why is he using that phrase? And the reason he's using the phrase true vine is a contextual thing from the Old Testament, okay? So back in the Old Testament, in um, Isaiah, in Jeremiah chapter two, in Psalm chapter 80, Israel, the people of God in the old covenant are called a vine again and again and again. And every time the vine analogy is used for them, God says, you are my vine that I planted, but you have either borne no fruit or bad fruit. It's a way of proclaiming to them, you have not been what you were supposed to be. You're supposed to be a light to the nations. You're supposed to represent me and my nature, but you've rebelled at this point. Um, not at this point, but like in Habakkuk, if you read in Habakkuk, uh, it's only three chapters in the prophets. Basically, Habakkuk is saying, We're, you've abandoned us. You're actually using a nation more wicked than us, Babylon, to judge us. How does that make any sense? He's like, you, you're, you're putting your children in the fire to the god Molech. You're bowing to Baal and worshiping him. You're not the fruitful vine that you are supposed to be. Now, there's a major, the, you kind of follow the whole argument of scripture, there's one main reason why Israel was never the vine, the fruit-producing people that they were supposed to be. And it's what Paul says in the New Testament when he says, you were given the law of God, but rather than seeing that whole law as evidence that you needed a savior to come and save you and give you his righteousness, you tried to do it on your own. You tried to get righteousness before God with all your best works, with all your best efforts. And you failed because that's not what the law can do and you don't have the ability to do it. Your response to the law was meant to be repentance and crying out for a savior to save you because you worship a holy and righteous God and you are not a holy and righteous people and you can't be. So now, put all that together. Hopefully that's not too confusing. What Jesus is saying, he says, I'm the true vine. So I've come to essentially replace Israel as the one who brings about the fruitfulness that God intends. And here's how I bring it. I bring fruitfulness because I and I alone can give you the righteousness that you need that will make you bear fruit. Israel has done it backwards. So when Jesus is saying this to the disciples, he's saying, here's the warning, don't go back to the old way. I'm about to leave you. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna rise, I'm gonna ascend into heaven, and what I'm gonna tell you now is don't go back to trying to get your righteousness through your own efforts Keep connecting to me, the true vine, and I will make you fruitful. I will make you righteous 
Do not try to accomplish it before God in your own effort and your own work. And friends, can I tell you, that message is as prevalent for every Christian today as it was for the disciples in the upper room that night. Because we are always tempted to go back to putting God at our, like in debt to us because we earn our goodness before him, because we do all these things and therefore, You owe me this. That's how our minds work. They go back to it again and again. And he's warning us now, don't go back to that way of mindset. Keep connected to me, dependent upon me. Draw all your life and righteousness from me. I'm your only hope. Does everybody follow? It's a gospel-saturated passage. Let me just look at it this way. In verse eight, he said, By this, the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So it's all about the glory of the Father. That's the gospel. The Father is getting glory for himself. How? By redeeming a people for himself. What's the message of this passage? Do we have to be fruitful in order to get the connection? Works. Then you get the relationship. Or is it come and connect free of charge? It's an invitation, grace upon grace. And the result of that connection will be fruitfulness. You see it? It's the gospel right there for you, friends. Jesus is saying, don't go back to the old way of works. Stay in the new way of the righteousness that's only found in me. That warning is really important because we're tempted to go back to it. And so he offers it to us and says, stay right there. All right, so he's given us the invitation. He's given us the bold claim that you will bear fruit if you're in me, but you can't without me. And he's then given us the warning to help us recognize in ourselves when we are kind of sliding back in to that, I'll earn it, I'll do it, I'll make it happen. He said, no, 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 that's that's the way of the branch that isn't connected to the vine. The branch that's connected to the vine draws everything from the vine. Stay there, all right? Now, he's gonna talk to us about a fruitful life. And now, again, we don't, if, like, if I could only give you one half of this sermon, it would be the first half, because as much as fruitfulness is necessary, it's required, it's going to come from the person who's connected to the vine, and I want you to see it as a motivation to connect. If you run too quickly to the fruitfulness, you're gonna make one of two errors. You're either going to be so about the fruitfulness that you're really going to God for what he's gonna do for you, and that's prosperity gospel. That's, I'm, I just want the stuff you have to give, I don't want you. And this passage is first and foremost about him. Get him. Be with him. Connect to him. He's the gift. And then he'll bring this fruitfulness. But that's secondary. This is primary. Or the other thing is you'll do that slide back into works. I gotta be fruitful. I gotta be fruitful. I gotta be fruitful. I gotta earn it. I gotta do it. And if you're too focused or too quick to run to the fruitfulness, you miss the point of the connection that creates the fruitfulness. So that's what I would say to you. But with that in mind, now let's go to that fruitfulness and let's see how does he do it? How can he guarantee, how can Jesus be so bold as to say, you connect with the Father through me, this true vine, and you will bear much fruit. Okay, so there's a couple things. You'll see them in your notes there if you grab the sermon notes. Let me walk through them. I hope they deeply encourage you, okay? So the first way that he bears fruit through our connection to him is through establishing an identity, an unshakable identity. And this always has to be first, okay? Now, here's what I want you to understand. When he says in verse nine, abide in my love, 
as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Just, we could just ponder that the rest of our time. Are you stunned by the fact that Jesus is saying, I love you in the same measure and quantity and with the same quality of the love that the Father has for me? That's shocking. And you think, that's how I love you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. And then he says, obey and you will abide. And all he's saying there, he's not saying do it and get my love. He's saying you will continue to experience what my love is like as you obey. Because my commandments are good. They're right. One of the reasons to obey is that you and I are like, every time I do something the way the Father has designed me to operate and invited me to operate, all I'm doing is walking in the very nature he's already planted in me and experiencing the fullness of that, and every time it reassures me of how much he loves me. That's what he's saying. Now, here's, here's what you need to know. You cannot be fruitful in life until you have a firm identity. Now, identity, we all, I'm not to belabor this too much because we talk about it all the time. I know I'm kind of an identity hound. I talk about it all the time. People are very confused in our age about their identity. Very confused. So that's why I talk about it a lot. Identity essentially boils down to two things, not to be overly simplistic, but value and purpose, okay? Value and purpose. Your identity is where you get your value from, what you think makes you valuable, and where you get your purpose from. Like, why am I here? What am I here to do? What's the purpose of my life? Essentially, identity boils down to those two things. And in order to be in any way fruitful, you have to be able to draw that identity, that value and purpose from something that is going to be both sustainable and satisfying. Sustainable meaning it doesn't ebb and flow, it doesn't come and go, it doesn't rise and fall, it's constant. Would you agree? All right, so can't be fruitful until I have a sustainable source of identity. Can't be fruitful until I have a satisfying source of identity. If it was sustainable, but it didn't really kind of do it for me, right, didn't energize me, didn't fill me with some sense of satisfaction, I'm not sure how much of an identity it really is. So if identity is value and purpose, and it has to be drawn from something that is both sustainable and deeply satisfying, then what Jesus is saying when he says, I will connect you as the true vine to the Father, is he's giving you an answer to that identity question. He's saying, you can build your entire life on me. I can satisfy you and I can sustain you with the source of identity that I offer. And what is it? I bring God's love to you so that your identity does not have to be how well you achieve in your work life, doesn't have to be how well you parent, right? Anyone who's put their identity in being a great parent has then had a kid do something and you're like, well, apparently not. It's not a stable source of identity. Your children, absolutely not. Your work is not, because you might get laid off tomorrow when the company downsizes, right? Your intellect is not. Your intellectual capacity can be taken from you like that with an accident. Your physical health is not. Your athletic prowess is not, because you're, you might lose the game tomorrow. Anything any other source of identity, it's just not sustainable. They can all come and go. They will all rise and fall. And Jesus is saying, I am the undying, unchanging source of connection to the love of God. Abide in me 
and the love of the Father will flow into you and through you. What gives you value? The Father loves you. It's that simple. The Father loves you. Freely, he has chosen to love you, not because of your winsomeness, not because of your goodness, not because of your skill or ability or lack thereof. The Father loves you. If you ever been in the ocean and you think, you know, you're kind of like jumping over waves and you think, I made it past that wave and you kind of turn around and wave at the family back on the shore and then the next wave comes and flattens you because the waves keep coming. They don't stop. That's exactly what God's love is like, minus the, the skid marks, you know? His love just keeps coming like waves crashing on the shore over and over and over. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm the true vine. I will give you a never-ending experience of the love of God flowing through you to establish your identity in something steadfast, stable, sustainable, because it never changes. His love never changes. Now, listen, to, just think about that for a moment, because the people who love us best in this life, I mean, the ones that do the best job of loving us, their love ebbs and flows a little bit sometimes, doesn't it? They get a little angry with us. They get in and look, God disciplines us. He chastises us for sure. But his love never changes one iota. It does not lessen in any way. And he never lacks the ability or the, the power to make that love come through to us. And he never makes error in the way he expresses it. He never does what I do as a father, which is to say, well, the loving thing to do is to discipline, but then I overreach a little bit and it becomes more an expression of my anger than it does of my love because I'm an internally imperfect person, yes? But God never disciplines incorrectly. It's always perfect expression of love in his discipline. You're valuable because God loves you, full stop, period, end of sentence. Your purpose in life is to extend Experience the love of God and then extend it to others. Extend it in his truth with all its sharp edges. Don't round them off to make people feel loved by things that are false. But bring his love to bear in every situation, everywhere you go. The love of God in Christ, redeeming, powerful, truth-filled, reconciling love. End of period. End of sentence. Full period. Stop. That's now listen, once my identity is there, I have value because God loves me. I have purpose in the love of God. And that's it. Now I have an identity that enables me to be fruitful in every endeavor. Do you see it? Now, I, because apart from that, here's what I'm doing. Every activity, instead of building upon that firm identity, becomes an attempt to build an identity. And it will never work. All my best efforts as a parent, all my best efforts at work, all my best efforts in class, as a friend, all of them become like taking, it's like saying, I've got to build an identity and I've got the Grand Canyon in front of me and I've got to fill it up and so I'm going to just take one stone at a time and just keep trying to fill it up and it's never going to work. That's why you can't be fruitful unless the identity is laid. So that's the first thing. The second thing 
is found in the surrounding passages around this one. Um, and it's that he makes us fruitful by filling us with a new source of power when we're connected to him. And that power is the Holy Spirit. So just two things there. In chapter 14, right before chapter 15, and in chapter 16, he bookends this passage that we're looking at today with the discussion of the work of the Holy Spirit. In verse 14, he promises to send the Spirit, even telling us it's better for you if I go because the Spirit then will come. And in, verse, in chapter 16, he discusses the specifics of the work of that Spirit. He's gonna convict people of their sin. He's gonna show them what righteousness looks like. And he goes on about the work of the Spirit. So here in chapter 15, when he says, abide in me and I will abide in you and I in you, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that Spirit is going to abide in you going to come and live in you. The reason that's a richer and fuller experience than even having Christ physically right in front of the disciples is that Jesus in his embodied nature could not enter into a person, but the spirit having no body can enter into the heart and mind, soul of a person, indwell them, and then lead them from the inside, not from the outside. Do you see that? So here's what he's saying. Abide in me, connect to me, and you will be fruitful because there will be a power moving through you like the branch draws all this energy from the vine to keep growing. That's the kind of power that's gonna be available to you and filling you and flowing through you. So you'll be fruitful. You'll grow in character because the Spirit moves through you. You'll grow in wisdom and in knowledge. You'll grow in effectiveness in the gifts that he's given you as you use them. There is a new power available to you. So we're fruitful because identity is answered. We're fruitful because power is given. And then the last three things, we're just gonna hit these pretty quick here, is we're fruitful because he prunes us. Did you see that in verse two? That's the part we just wanna kind of speed past because pruning always insinuates difficulty. I'm just gonna tell you, I can't, I can't sugarcoat this one, okay? Pruning always insinuates as a biblical metaphor, hardship. If he's saying, I'm gonna prune you, he's gonna say, I'm gonna cut the things off of you that don't need to be there, and often that is going to be done through things that aren't going to feel pleasant. I will sanctify you, change you, transform you to be fruitful, by pruning you. Think about the life of Joseph. If you ever read the life of Joseph, you just think, I mean, God, really, enough, maybe? Joseph has to be transformed from an arrogant young man to the man through whom God is going to implant such wisdom that he's going to save not just his own people, Israel, and sustain them in the midst of a global famine, but also all the nations around. He's literally going to save the earth in a temporary kind of a way through Joseph. How can he become this man? What has to happen between the arrogant young man whom God gives dreams and the humble man who actually receives his brothers back and through whom God spares the earth? Pretty big task, yes? What has to happen to Joseph? He's sold into slavery. Feels forgotten, abandoned. And then you think, well, that, that seems like it should be enough, yes? And then he's thrown in prison for something he didn't do. And then he's forgotten in prison, Numerous times. You see that God is pruning Joseph. And let me just encourage you in this, friends. When God prunes you, he will prune you. 
to make you fruitful. Always remember, it's to make you fruitful. Don't grow bitter. Don't let yourself grow bitter. Cry out to God to not let yourself grow bitter and look for his presence with you because in all the difficult pruning work of God, he is there holding the scissors, holding the shears. He's the one and he's an expert. He doesn't trim anything that shouldn't be trimmed. He never goes, whoops, cut the wrong branch. He trims everything that needs to be trimmed and leaves everything that needs to be left and he is right there. Blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we have been comforted. You see what I'm saying? Don't grow bitter. Cry out to God, show me yourself. Don't leave me, be with me, and he will show you. He's right there. Pruning, yes, but merciful and comforting at the same time. And you will be fruitful. The last two things are God's word and prayer. We become fruitful through God's word and prayer. If you look at verse seven, both those things are there. And just look at what he says. If you abide in me, and now you would expect, because he's son, every other time he said, and I abide in you. But what does he say now? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, so there's prayer, and it will be done for you. So the lesson he's just taught us is he's just said, one, a life that is fruitful is a life saturated in my word. If he's paralleling himself through his spirit abiding in us with the idea of his word abiding in us in this passage, that both those things are his way of coming to us, he's saying, you connect to me, experience that connection through my word, through a life saturated in my word. As you fill your mind and fill your heart with my word, you will become fruitful because my word is living and active, Hebrews says, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing soul from spirit and joint from marrow. In other words, it's precise as a tool and it's exactly how to come in and cut away what needs to be cut away and raise up what needs to be raised up Right? It fights against every lie that is spoken to you by the world or by the enemy. Think about the word of God this way. You know how white blood cells work? When a virus invades the body, the white blood cells attack it and they look for a white blood cell. Not all of them can connect to every virus because they're shaped differently. And so the, when the body finds the white blood cell that has the right attachments to be able to attach to and kill that virus, it then makes more of those same white blood cells with that shape and they surround all the viruses because the virus is trying to multiply, kind of like lies try to multiply. And it just surrounds every one of those viruses. It can multiply those white blood cells rapidly. And as it does, they surround and kill those viruses. It's the same thing the word of God does with every lie from the enemy in the world. Those lies come in, and if the word of God is present, like those white blood cells, the specific promises of God, the specific uh, admonitions of God in the scriptures surround those lies and kill them and destroy them so that we become fruitful rather than fruitless 
buying the ways of the world. And then he says, as your heart is shaped by that word, by God, through his word, ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. That's a pretty broad statement, yes? Now there's lots of lessons to learn about prayer, but in this passage, here's the lesson. As your heart is shaped by the word of God towards the will of God, you begin to pray according to that will and you find that your prayer life is incredibly fruitful. Part of the fruitfulness of our prayer lives is found in the fact that as we learn to pray for the things that God loves and desires, we watch him answer those prayers. And we get to participate in those things happening by being people who pray, by being people who call upon God and say, please, please do it. And as he does in his perfect timing, we say, man, what, I got invited into that whole thing just by going before the throne of the Father and talking to him about it. So our fruitfulness comes from our prayer lives and through a God, God's word saturated life that comes through a, a rich identity that is sustainable and so satisfying and through a new source of power and through, yes, pruning. And all of that fruitfulness, he says, I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. We want fullness of joy, yes? Yeah. Take up the invitation to connect to the Father. Watch the fruitfulness come and may your life be filled with joy. Let me pray, and then we're gonna close with a song, all right? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that no one is who you are. No one is like you. You are astounding and amazing to us. And even as we just talked about how fruitfulness comes from a life saturated in your word, Father, I pray that you would take your word and the power of your spirit that we've looked at today. We've all tried to exert our minds and our hearts around that word now because we believe that glorifies you and honors you, and we ask you to take it and help us to be not just people who heard it, but people who then now go and apply it and do it so that we wouldn't be like the person who looks in the mirror and then turns away and forget what they looked at. So help us, fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the rich promises of this scripture that tell us that you are the true vine, able to bring that power in us and through us. I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus for his glory, amen.